Prologue Although his hind paws were covered in fur, the floor was still cold on the surface of his footpads. His legs and feet were usually wrapped in leather or linen when he was about, a light option for those situations where stealth was of the utmost importance. But not tonight. His wiry yet muscular hind legs were free of restriction and resting comfortably under his desk. He loved the cold feeling on his footpads. It was a therapy of sorts, given he'd been on them for many days. It was dark in his study, save for the few candles at his desktop, illuminating a well-weathered tome, several rolled scrolls, an inkwell, and feather. Hmm, he said as he carefully translated the Daedric script adorning the page. It says here that the raising of a dead animal may produce a guard-dog type of a demeanor at best, with a creature sometimes tuning on the conjurer. Curious. Quite curious. There was nobody else in the room, save a small, black-furred feline curled up and snoozing at the edge of a meager wood-posted bed near the desk. His furry little face appeared to have white accents resembling the features of a skull. The feline lifted his head at the sound of his master's voice, paused a moment to listen, then nestled it back atop its outstretched paws. The obedience of such a conjured creature is directly attributed to his intelligence in life. Hmm, quite curious, the Kajiti scholar pondered. The small feline again lifted its head in response to the interrupted silence, as if slightly annoyed by the broken sleep. Then, when his master's quiet study ensued, rested his head upon his paws once again. Perhaps the larger and more skilled the vessel is in life, the more loyal and trainable it would be in death. This would certainly explain the cunning of that undead warhound at that lich's side in Grotwood some months ago, hey, Krindar? Krindar, the small feline slumbering on the bed, ignored the words and stiffened, as if something had caught his attention other than his master's incessantly intruding inquiry. The small but muscular feline pulled himself to the edge of the bed, belly sliding along the fur covers, eyes fixed on something across the room. The cat's owner didn't even notice that his feline companion was on the hunt. Krindar didn't move a muscle. He merely sat there and watched until whatever he was stalking began to move. Without moving his head, Krindar's eyes followed the target which appeared to be moving about the small floor. Then his hind end started to bounce slowly to and fro as if Krindar was ready to pounce, waiting, focused. His moment arrived and Krindar leapt into the air, landing directly on top of an unsuspecting field mouse that had made its way into the small room. A loud squeak pierced the silence, and the mouse lay mortally wounded in Krindar's mouth, save a few twitches as it breathed its last breath. By Hursin's spear! the Kajiti researcher exclaimed. What are you doing, Krindar? Seemingly startled by the sudden commotion. The feline, mouse still lying listless in the gape of his maw, 
leapt onto his master's desk and laid the dead mouse before him, as if presenting a gift. Krindar sat down, as cats do, staring at his master, awaiting a reaction. A gift? For me, Krindar, his master replied to the gesture. The Khajiit's furred face turned from one of surprise to an expression of wonder as he stared down at the dead mouse. A gift indeed, my friend. This one believes he understands what you'd have him do, Krindar. You are a very clever friend. Okay, you know the rules. Not a peep to anyone, understand? Krindar, licking his paws as he sat atop his master's desk, simply ignored the question, as if he were waiting for something better. His master stood up from his desk, grabbed his chair and placed it out of the way. The slender, yet noticeably physically fit Khajiit took a step back and settled his stance into the stone floor. He began waving a paw in a circular motion parallel to the table. A faint, wispy blue glow began to emanate from the paw. The blue wisps grew into glowing spirals moving clockwise from beneath the desk and moving slowly toward the ceiling. The small spirals would fade into thin air at the top but regenerate down below in a continuous movement as the Khajiit continued to whirl his hand. His concentration was intense, head bowed low as he faintly chanted words of an unknown language. Krindar's fur was rustling in the light wind created by the spell his master was channeling. He decided he didn't like the breeze and jumped down onto the stone floor, then back atop his perch on the bed. The Khajiiti magic user finished his spell dropped his paw to his side and waited, staring at the dead mouse on his desktop. Perching his front paws on the wooden footpost of the bed, Krindar stood there watching behind his master, eyes fixed on his dead prey. Both cats, the large and the small, stared mesmerized by the corpse for several seconds, as if awaiting something. The mouse lay, still and dead, on its side, blood stains on its wet fur near its neck where Krindar had sunk his fangs. The Khajiit's shoulders dropped, and the tension and anticipation left his body. He turned his head behind him and looked at Krindar, still anxiously fixated on the dead mouse. You see, Krindar, it doesn't work. This one thinks it's for the best, most likely, he said to his feline companion. The Khajiit then noticed what he swore was a smile come across the face of his furry friend. Noticing the reaction, the Khajiit turned his attention back to the dead mouse on the table. Trouble in Elsewhere Episode 1 The air was frosty and damp in the cavern's mouth. Even though it was the middle of the warm season on the surface, the biting chill in the air penetrated his bones. Bones. An ironic explanation given what was taking place just below his hidden vantage point. He had sneaked up to a rock formation on a solid stone pathway just above the cavern's floor, and he was quite concealed. 
drips from the moist, weeping cavern ceiling could be heard striking the boulder not far from where he was crouched. His paws, coming into contact with the surface of the rock, slid across the slick, mossy growth as he stopped all movement. There he knelt, like a predator hunting prey, motionless and observant. Though he wasn't planning on attacking, he would just watch. From here, he'd be able to stay hidden and gather all of the information he'd need for his report. A small feline fearlessly pranced behind him in the cavern. Dark fur, small in stature, the out-of-place house cat was never far behind. It stuck to the shadows, mostly. A most peculiar sight, actually, to see a seemingly docile pet following his master into the depths of a dank, dark tunnel, wrought with danger. But the small cat just lingered about silently, working its way toward his much larger, furry companion. When he reached him, he sat on his hind legs, locked his damp paws quietly, and observed the scene from above with his master. The purple and blue wisps of energy emanating from the black-robed, undead conjurer's hands began to increase in size as he chanted. His head bowed and glowing azure eyes were fixed ahead. It didn't take long for the colorful, smoky tendrils to envelop his whole body and spread to the soil before him. The dirt at his feet stirred, as if a thousand earthbound critters suddenly breached the surface in the same place. With a final upward motion of both his outstretched hands, skinless and decaying fingers breached the surface of the soil, followed by an arm, bracing itself on the soil and pulling the rest of its dead flesh out of the ground. Before the conjurer's feet stood a fresh, reanimated corpse, swaying slowly to and fro, head hung low as if it were bowing to its new master. Reanimation of the Dead a practice long despised in most places on Nern. Necromancy certainly wasn't forgotten. Utilized by magic users for thousands of years, the vile practice did have its benefits. Many times when armies fell at odds on the battlefield, a necromancer could turn the tables by channeling a spell and breathing life, or some form of it, into fallen comrades. Often enough, the mere sight of slain soldiers returning to action was enough to make an opposing force turn tail and run. Others who decided to brave the terrifying event to stay and fight would be met by corpses of the undead, unfeeling fighters battling their way through the lines, undaunted by the sting of a gaping wound or piercing arrows in their dead, rotting flesh. Necromancy was a vile practice indeed. As an adept of magic himself, Singe was absolutely fascinated by it. Understanding the pros and cons of the ancient rituals toward his morals, but he had a job to complete. Singe was used to this scenario, though. He was an expert at necromancy. How to recognize it, where to find it, how to combat it. His research had brought him to some of the creepiest, darkest corners of Tamriel. At the behest of the Mages Guild, Singe was dispatched into the wilds of Glenumbra to investigate reports of necromancy in the region. His paws feverishly took notes on a rough parchment that he would present to the guild in his final report. He'd wait until the necromancer was fast asleep, 
then he'd sneak down to the cavern's floor and retrieve any possible evidence he could find. He wouldn't need much more, however. He'd confirmed what he came to find. Necromancy had definitely returned to Glenumbra. Dark-furred, tall and lean, Singe was quite the adventurous Khajiit. Risky, yet resolute in his actions, Singe was never one to shy away from a challenging expedition. As a matter of fact, he lived for them. Never truly wanting to travel with anyone else but his tiny, brash, house-cat companion, Krindar, Singe preferred to pack light and travel fast. The quicker the business at hand was completed, the quicker he could tend to his true love, discovering and deciphering ancient writings. He was always on the prowl for a dusty tome to peruse and study. First trained as an adept in Magicka, Singe struggled to fit in as a mage. It really wasn't until Molag Ball's invasion and the subsequent incursion of Lesser Daedra in the wilds of High Rock that the guild would take notice of the innate skills of the Kajidi spell adept. It seemed with the influx of Daedra in the many cave systems in the region, not very many mages fancied hunting for ancient texts in these evil-infested and dangerous delves. Singe, on the other hand, pounced at the opportunity. He would sneak in, gather the books, and make a shadowy escape without being detected. To him, it was like taking skooma from an addict. The Daggerfall Mages Guild, recognizing his potential, had quickly promoted him to investigator for his knowledge of ancient lore and his unmatched skill in infiltration. Singe was quite effective at getting in and out of a location undetected and returning with whatever item or information he was tasked with retrieving. This made him a very valuable asset to the Mages Guild. He was intelligent, skilled in magic, and a talented infiltrator. He was outfitted with the best equipment, given unlimited access to the Guild's massive lore library, and he was allowed to come and go as he pleased. Singe had an on-call agreement with the Mages Guild, and he was called upon for the most challenging, yet critical, assignments. A parchment would arrive via guild courier in his quaint little hideaway at the Rosy Lion Inn, and off he would go to his next quest. The location of the assignment was never an issue. Rather, it was the ancient history of the location itself that truly mattered to Singe. The more untouched, undiscovered, or exotic the locale, the better. The night sky was abnormally sprinkled with stars this night. The air was warm and sticky as Singe and his feline companion emerged from the dank cavern. It was mid-spring in the region of Glenumbra, and the unseasonably warm weather had spawned every flying, ear-buzzing, blood-sucking critter found in the Tamrielic Atlas of Entomology. Despite the buzzing and biting that would plague their route home, all had gone as planned. Singe had waited for the necromancer to nod off, then he slithered down to his hastily built encampment to retrieve any evidence he could find. He quickly slipped the necromancer's journal, a few parchments adorned with Daedric's script, and two unmarked potion bottles into his satchel, then ascended the long, narrow walkway to the surface and to the night sky. Mission complete.
Episode 2 The snappy morning air bit at Singe's nose as he entered the courtyard. He stepped off a large, jet-black cinch lion mount, tied him up at a hitching post, and began to rustle through his saddlebags. Stay ahead of that storm, did you, Singe? Zagush cheerily said as Singe made his way toward the back door. Zagush was the groundskeeper at the Daggerfall Mages Guild. A middle-aged orsimer, he'd been employed by the Mages Guild for years, keeping the yards of the old stone building among the greenest and most lush in the city. Moving with purpose toward the door, Singe turned his head toward the sound of Zagush's voice. Ah, Zagush. So nice to see you this morning. Yes, yes, I sure did. Trekked through the night to beat it. You know how the cold rain mats my fur and sogs my books, yes? Oh, yes. Yes, sir, Singe. You always manage to come out unscathed, it seems. How many of those nine lives do you have left? Zagush chuckled. All of them, my friend, Singe retorted with a wry smile. Singe, having retrieved a full satchel from his Sencha's saddlebag, motioned for his furry companion, Krindar, to follow him inside. With a crack and a creak of a large wooden door, the sound of birds chirping in the crisp morning air surrendered to the subdued silence of the Daggerfall Mages Guild. It was nearly empty at this time of the morning, as most of the field mages had already set out into the surrounding countryside on errands or research missions. Save for a few diligent scholars sitting at dimly lit wooden tables, absorbed in ancient text, the guild was very peaceful. Singe, with Krindar trailing close behind, strode to the help desk, located just inside the main door. It seems you are right, Eilina. The one cult is back. I found a small operation taking place in the Ebon Crypt. Singe got right to the point without his usual greeting, which was strange for his normally jovial demeanor. Well, good morning to you too, Singe, Eilina the Magus said with a grin. Noticing her affinity for pleasantries before business, Singe retorted, seemingly embarrassed. Forgive me, my friend. Good morning to you too as well. How was your sleep? It was restful, thank you. I made you your morning poison, black and strong with a thumble of moon sugar. Eileen amused as she slid a mug of steaming coffee on the table toward Singe. Always thinking of others first, Eileen. This one thanks you graciously. I apologize for my haste, Singe replied. Well, I knew you probably had a long night, and who am I to try to deny you of your morning sustenance? So now, what was that you said about the worm cult? Eileen finished, as she shifted her focus back to the task at hand. Yes, they have returned. I don't know why they've picked Lanumbra, to be honest, well with the difficulty of acquiring corpses in this region. Have there been any reports of missing persons as of late? Singe retorted. Well, I'd have to query the city guards about that, but we're going to have to table this particular investigation for the time being, Singe. I have another task for you. This one is of utmost importance. Straight from the top. Eileen's tone sombered. Singe narrowed his brow and leaned on the countertop, giving his friend and colleague his full attention. Krindar, seemingly interested as well, leapt up onto the countertop and sat at his master's side. Scanning the room and lowering her tone, 
Eilina leaned towards Singe. We've received word that a summons from the Imperials has been floating around the region. Apparently, someone quite notorious in the Imperial ranks has been recruiting accomplished adventurers and dungeon delvers for some type of a secretive mission. The Imperials, you say? Singe questioned. It's not just any Imperial, though, Singe. Eilina the Mage looked to the right and left once again, assuring there weren't any prying eyes or ears. The summons is directly from Abner Tharn. Abner Tharn? Singe said, a bit too loudly, and then immediately realized his mistaken blurt. Eilina's eyes widened, and she motioned with her hand for Singe to lower his volume. Abner Tharn? Singe whispered. As in the Chancellor Abner Tharn? As in the Battle Mage Abner Tharn? As in the Five Companions Abner Tharn? Yes, Singe, that Abner Tharn, Eilina said with hushed certainty. Hmm, now that is quite curious, Singe replied, scratching his furred chin with one paw. We need you to find him and follow him, undetected. You are not to make contact with him for any reason. We simply need to know what he's up to, Eileen ordered. Still scratching his brow deep in thought, Singe seemingly ignored the question. Singe, are you hearing me? Eileen quietly snapped. Breaking out of his deep focus and distant, thoughtful stare, Singe replied, Yes, yes, this one understands. I need your complete focus on this one, Singe. No side quests. No relic hunting, no moon sugar runs, none of that this time. This is a big deal. He's up to something and the guild wants to know what it is. Are we clear? Eilina's serious tone had Singe's full attention. Yes, ma'am. I will ensure that the task is done. No worries, please, Singe said with a wry smile. Okay, fine then. Your payment for your last mission and a box of supplies is on the desk in my study. Collect them and get moving. We need you to deploy as soon as you are able. There's also a copy of the missive in the box. It will give you an idea as to where he was last seen. Now go! Nodding his head in bewildered agreement, Singe nodded curtly at Eilina and turned to complete his orders. As he turned, Eilina spoke once more. Singe! She said sternly to get his attention, but once she had it, her demeanor turned to one of concern. Be careful, would you? This one could be dangerous. Smiling his appreciation for her thoughtful concern, Singe replied, I will, my friend. I will contact you when I have something. Come now, Krindar. Singe turned once again and moved with purpose towards Eilina's study. With a box full of supplies for his mission and his payment in hand, Singe headed back down the cobblestone road to a modest rented room at the Rosy Lion Inn. As usual, Singe's faithful feline companion was gracefully in step behind him. Episode 3 Supplies were strewn about the bed in his small study in preparation for the trip. The lack of space seemingly annoyed his feline companion, Krindar, as his usual napping spot was occupied by several items. 
a water skin, rolled maps and parchment, two mages' staves, tightly tied burlap sacks of food rations, eight corked glass flasks with a blue liquid inside, four with a red liquid, a small toolkit for armor repairs, an extra set of mages' robes, a set of medium leathers, two short, ornate daggers, and a fur brush. The displaced Krindar was sitting on the wooden desk watching his master attempt to stuff 50 pounds of gear into a 20-pound leather backpack. Next to the feline on the desk was the missive from the Imperial Chancellor, Abner Tharn. Singe stopped packing for a moment and looked at Krindar, who was eyeing him as if packing for a trip was some kind of entertainment. We're leaving soon, Krindar. You should get some rest, my friend. As if reacting to his master's cue, Krindar slowly closed his eyes, then opened them just as slowly. He was clearly on the verge of a catnap. Singe's prideful smile towards his friend broke as he looked onto the table and saw the missive. He'd already read it several times, looking for clues or some indication as to what Abner Thorne was up to. He reached onto the table and picked it up once again. It read, Adventurer, I have followed your progress with interest and deemed you worthy of rendering assistance. Knowledge has come into my possession that will help me end the misguided Three Banners War and restore peace to Tamriel. You shall accompany me. Be ready to answer my summons and answer it quickly. I hate to be kept waiting. Signed, I Chancellor Abner Tharn. Singe put the letter back on the table and looked blankly across the room, thoughtfully stroking his tied imperial goatee. For several moments he stood there, body still, quietly pondering. He didn't notice that Krindar was awake. So where do we start? Krindar asked, breaking Singe's silent contemplation. Dark moons, Krindar! I thought you were sleeping, Singe blurted. How can I sleep with that mouse on a wheel of a brain of yours working overtime? The silence was killing me, so where are we headed first? Krindar said with a half-serious, half-playful tone. Staring at the small, dark-furred Alfique with an eyebrow raised, Singe answered, Well, Krin, that is what I've been contemplating so deeply. This missive is the only information we have. There is no location, no reports of where we could find the High Chancellor. It's like finding a clothier's needle in a stack of clothier's needles, no? The Alfique settled back onto his hind legs, pondering the thought, his black tail whipping to and fro behind him. Yes, I suppose it is. Why don't we think on simpler terms, perhaps? If Tharn is recruiting adventurers and heroic types, where would he look? Where would the best places be to find them? Still stroking his beard, Singe's eyes narrowed. Where can adventurers find work so easily? Where would most people need help with various tasks? Krindar stared at Singe with a raised eyebrow and what appeared to be a slight smirk. There are delves and bandit camps that require clearing and relics that need to be found all over Tamriel. But where would most of this work come from? 
Krindar, holding his stare, flatly teased. You're almost there, Singe. Capital cities! We will start in the capital cities. That is most likely where Tharn will be recruiting these adventurer types, Singe decided. Bingo, Krindar replied with a wink. Now you're thinking with a full stack. What's more, capital cities will have guard protection and embassies with emissaries to receive Tharn, so we can stay close to some of his creature comforts. We all know high chancellors like Tharn are snooty to a fault. It makes them predictable, if anything else. Singe pursed his lips and bounced his index claw at Krindar. Yes, yes, you're right, Krindar. That settles it. We will start looking for Thorn right here in Daggerfall. We quietly ask around, perhaps in the taverns and the market square. Oh, and the Undaunted Camp. We will definitely inquire at the Undaunted Camp. At least one of those crazy thrill-seekers are sure to have received a missive. Sounds like a plan, Singe. A good plan. Krindar yawned, satisfied that a plan was set into motion. He closed his eyes once again and nestled himself back into his slumber. The next morning, Singe set about the city of Daggerfall with Krindar following close behind. He began to discreetly observe adventurers coming into the Rosy Lion Inn and loitering about the Undaunted Enclave just outside of town. There was nothing out of ordinary to note, aside from a Breton female who appeared to be approaching certain individuals in the area. With his keen investigation skills, Singe noted that the female was approaching the most seasoned of adventurers. She was very selective in who she spoke with, choosing those with the best in equipment, the best in physical shape, and those free from injury. The female would approach them one at a time, taking care not to alert any prying ears. Some of the adventurers seemed to not want anything to do with her and brushed her off readily, but some of them seemed interested in what she had to say. After a few minutes of a hushed conversation, the Breton would hand a rolled scroll to the person, turn, and walk away. After several of these encounters, Singe was certain that he had discovered where these missives were coming from. One adventure he observed was a large orsimer adorned in heavy armor with a large double-bladed battle axe strapped to his back. Singe followed the beast with his eyes and watched him as he walked away from the woman. The orc stopped some fifty feet from the woman unrolled the scroll and read it, then tossed it to the ground with a huff and walked away. Ah, not interested, my pale-skinned friend, Singe whispered to himself. As soon as the orc was out of sight, Singe briskly walked to where he had dropped the scroll. Singe looked about, saw no one watching, and nonchalantly picked up the scroll, placed it in his satchel, and walked away. Singe walked toward a clump of trees just outside the gate, Krindar following behind. Finding a more private place, Singe began to rustle through his satchel to retrieve the parchment he had just picked up. As he searched in his bag, a quiet voice from behind him spoke. How many seasons have you been an adventurer? The female voice questioned. Startled by the intrusion, Singe jumped slightly, turned in the direction of the voice and hissed, before answering the Breton female. She was an attractive, brown-haired, brown-eyed Breton adorned in perfectly manicured leather armor. Um, well, um, I guess it would be about fourteen seasons this one has been lurking in dark places. Who is it that asks? 
Anais DeVoe, emissary of his worldliness, Abner Tharn. The female answered. Are you interested in yet another adventure? This one could really make a difference. Why would you select me among all of these other do-gooders out and about today? Sind replied with an air of irritation at having been startled. You look capable, Anais DeVoe countered. Look, I'm just going to leave you with this missive. Take a look. If you're interested, follow the instructions. If not, safe travels to you, she said with finality. Looking back at the woman, Singe smiled in an attempt to ease the tension, then took the rolled parchment from the woman's outstretched hand. Thank you, Singe replied. I will look it over. With a curt nod, the woman turned and walked away. With nobody around to hear it, Grindar the Alfique looked up at his friend and giggled. Smooth, Singe. Real smooth. Oh, bite your tongue, you fleabag. I saw you jump too, Singe snapped. With the information he needed in hand, Singe and Grindar made their way down the cobblestone road and back to the Rosy Lion. Episode 4 Prindar was fast asleep as Singe looked over the invitation to join Tharn's secret mission. Although he didn't see many of these missives being handed out during his investigation today, he wondered why Tharn would have invited multiple adventurers to join him in the first place. Perhaps what he was doing was such an undertaking, it would require a small army of seasoned explorers to join. Or perhaps he was only taking a few and the missive was just the first step in his selection process. Either way, Singe knew that he was instructed to not get involved. His job was to find out what Tharn was up to and bring it back to the guild. Observe and report. That was to be the extent of it. The next morning, Singe and Krindar set up a small surveillance post under the guise of traveling merchants. Singe stuffed a backpack with wares to pretend to sell, then the duo headed out into Daggerfall's Merchant Square where they could look for Tharn while staying mobile. The day was pleasant enough, partly cloudy skies with the sun peeking in and out. It was just enough sunlight to keep their fur warm as they walked through the crowds. With a small entourage which they figured Abner Tharn would certainly have on his coattails. He shouldn't be tough to spot, right? Yeah, right. Turns out there were plenty of over-the-hill men with slicked-back, balding gray hair wandering about today. How in the heck were they to find just one? Then it happened. Across the crowd, a tall, pale-skinned man was walking across the square with four to five mercenary types keeping his pace. A security detail, no doubt. This must be Abner Thar, Singe thought. Come, Grindar, I've spotted him. Singe called back to his companion. Down the cobblestone road they went, discreetly ducking in and out of the crowd to avoid being too noticeable. Moving with slight purpose, they peeked around ears and used pillars to disguise their approach. Singe would need to get close to hear any information of value 
yet stay far enough away as to not alert the mercenaries that he was tailing them. Occasionally, Singe would stop at a merchant's cart and pick up a piece of merchandise to survey it as if he was an interested buyer. Once the distance would increase to his target, he would put the goods back and continue with his light pursuit. All the while, Prindar the Alphique would bounce along after him, deftly dodging the various types of commoner footwear that would graze by his furry head. At long last, the target and his entourage stopped in the square. Standing behind a pack merchant's cart, Singe was close enough to the group to hear what was being said. Something about fine linens and cyrodelic brandy was being uttered. When Singe caught a glimpse of something, or somebody, approaching him in the corner of his eye, he turned his head slightly to see that something was actually a somebody in the form of a large female orc, and she was moving with purpose toward him. A covert member of the security detail for certain, Singe thought to himself. Fearing he was about to be found out, or perhaps attacked, Singe turned toward the orc, who was now upon him. A sizable, orsomer female, adorned in leather robes with a dagger on her hip, was standing way too close. Like, personal space close. Dangerously close. Singe dropped his paw down to his own hidden dagger, fastened in the small of his back. Before he had a chance to pull it, the orc addressed him rather abruptly. Do you know how long I've been looking for you? What? Singe said with a perplexed look. The orsomer woman began to carry on about the orcs of Rothgar and that she was looking for someone to assist them. She rambled on and on about a rendezvous with some caravan that would take him to Orsinium free of charge, if he had accepted her help. Bah! Singe spewed with annoyance. Away with you, devil woman! My quest journal is full! The orcish woman dropped her shoulders defeated, turned, and walked back into the crowd. Many moons, Grindar. What good are you? She scared the scat out of me. Grindar simply turned away from Singe, tail waving through the air as he displayed his business end at him. Getting back onto task, Singe looked back up at the target group, only to see the balding male noble had just turned enough so Singe could see his face. Rats! Singe exclaimed, definitely not after Tharn. It turned out he was tailing a famed tailor from the rift, who was in Daggerfall to procure some rare goods for some noble's gala that evening. Feeling particularly defeated himself, Singe turned to Krindar and muttered, Let's take a break, my friend. I need a cup of hot java. Singe and Krindar headed in the direction of the royal castle of Daggerfall. Despite the upscale, snooty demeanor of pretty much everyone there, the royal castle did indeed have an outstanding cup of coffee they would serve to visitors, free of charge. And right now, it was going to hit the spot. The downstairs entryway to the royal castle was always crowded. During the week, the administration always ran tours for the commoners of Daggerfall, free of charge. It was part of some Transparency for the People program King Emric demanded after there were widespread allegations of misappropriation of taxes for the Three Banners War. 
the people were up in arms, saying their local taxes were all going toward the war effort instead of improvements to the city. Whatever the reason, it made for maze-like crowds as people were put into groups for their tours. Besides the visitors, it was still a working castle for royalty. Maids, royal staff, and assistants ran that place, and they were all running around like headless chickens making sure the joint ran smoothly. Sinjin Kundar slipped inside, shirked the crowd, and obtained a steaming cup of Sinja's favorite brew, black coffee with a single thimble of moon sugar. Finding a small table and a comfy chair under the staircase, Sinj sat down and patted the table next to him, summoning Grindar to his own lofty perch. With a sigh, Sinj took his first sip. Bright moons, Grindar! Sinj whispered, nearly spitting his coffee back out onto the floor. Don't make it obvious, but look there at the bookcase. In all of his snooty glory, wearing gaudy red velvet robes and a heavy armor cuirass and hip piece, was the High Chancellor Abner Tharn not ten feet from the resting Khajiit and his companion. At his side was a tall Altmer, clad in a woodland ranger's attire, dual swords affixed to his hips and a large golden bow strapped to his back. This warrior looked the part. One of his chosen missive recipients, perhaps, Singe gathered. Further examining the scene, Singe noted a full travel pack at the ranger's feet complete with what appeared to be a folded cloak and a bedroll affixed. Getting ready for a trip, this one thinks, eh? Singe said quietly to Krindar. A focused conversation was taking place, and although Singe couldn't hear all of the words, he was able to decipher the following. Best interest of the Empire. End the Three Banners War. An ancient tablet. And a Khajiiti lore master. Without haste, Abner Tharn and the intimidating Altmer gathered their belongings and headed outside. Not wanting to abandon his fresh brew, but doing so anyway, Singe waited for Tharn and his companion to walk out the door. He and Krindar followed behind him, just enough to remain inconspicuous. Not thinking luck would strike him twice today, Tharn and his companion split in the square, with his companion traveling east and Tharn moving towards the north. This would take Singe right by the Rosy Lion Inn, where he darted into his room, grabbed his own travel pack, and caught back up with Tharn, just before he exited the city on foot. What would transpire over the next several weeks would take Singe and his Alfie companion Krindar on the journey of a lifetime. Episode 5 They had traveled for weeks. Following Tharn wasn't an easy task. He traveled by mount across the landscape, using merchant ships to cross large bodies of water and caravans when he became tired of riding. But he was always on the move. It seemed Tharn certainly didn't lack purpose. Finding just what that purpose was, though, that was the real challenge. The days were pleasant enough, but the nights were cold. Singe didn't feel much of it because of his thick black fur. It warmed easily in the sunlight, 
and he was just too busy trying to keep up with the High Chancellor in the wilds of Tamriel to notice the weather anyway. He would stay steps behind Tharn each day, losing him only when he entered buildings and cities or delves along the trail. Sinjin Krindar would post up, hidden near the entrances, waiting for Tharn to reemerge. He never quite knew what he was doing in these places, save for exploring when he himself had the opportunity, or perhaps gathering supplies to continue his journey east. When Tharn emerged, Singe would follow him to his makeshift camps and wait for him to resume his movements in the early morning, which would give Singe ample opportunity for a little side-questing of his own. Once Tharn was nestled into his bedroll at night, Singe would find a nearby delve or cave system and do some exploration of his own. He just couldn't resist the thought of danger and the opportunity to obtain more lore books on his little secret fetish, necromancy. After all, it was his passion. It just wasn't his paycheck. Singe knew his skills. He knew he could get in and get out unnoticed and lift pretty much any relics he wanted. There was really no risk there. Well, not until tonight. Tharn had been on a straight trek to the east, bringing us to the humid air and deep forest canopy of Valenwood. Late in the night, just on the outskirts of Elden Root and Grotwood, Singe had trailed Tharn to his camp and just observed. Droopy-eyed himself, Singe would surveil Tharn until he was fast asleep, Sinjin and Krindar both knew that Tharn wouldn't wake until the sun broke, so they took the opportunity to do a little exploring of their own. Singe was always on the hunt for old wooden doors set into a cliffside or large stone slabs set slightly askew with darkness beyond. He knew exactly what it meant. Delves. Relics. Ancient texts. Adventure. This night was no different. He had spotted a creepy old cave in the area, and he and Krindar were keen on exploring it. Singe and Krindar followed the trail back to the old delve and made their way inside. The cave system didn't seem very deep. A creaky old door led to a path of ups and downs, but mostly downs. A few meager wall torches illuminated the path, but for the most part, it was dark. As they made their way down deeper into the cave through the ever-descending switchbacks, they began to notice the sconces on the walls were no longer lit. Being cats, their innate ability to see clearly, despite the relative absence of light, allowed them to penetrate further into the darkness than any man or myrrh. Eventually, however, it became too dark for even a feline to navigate. They needed to make a decision light a torch and continue, which would undoubtedly eliminate their concealment, or abandon their exploration mission and turn around, heading back into the direction from which they came. Knowing the safest route was to just turn back, Singe felt around on the cave floor, where he knew Kandar would be. He tapped his side in the direction of the exit and started after him. But in that instant... A grisly sound stopped both Khajiit in their tracks. The sound was coming from below them, perhaps at the cave's bottom at the end of the narrow pathway they had been descending. 
A low, rhythmic moan sounded for several seconds at a time and then stopped. The guttural moan became louder each time it would recycle and it was bouncing off of the cave's walls, shaking the very soul of the two Khajiiti explorers. After what seemed to be an eternity of standing motionless and remaining silent, the sound disappeared as quickly as it had come. Sinj and Krindar continued to hold fast, not budging from their frozen state on the downward winding path. Still not able to see a thing, Sinj made the decision to start back up the path, knowing Krindar would sense his movement and follow suit. Step by step, at a slug's pace, the two began to make their way back up to the trail to the safety of the surface. After moving silently for several minutes, it was still pitch black in the cave. Singe was sure that they had reached the part of the cave where the sconces had been lit earlier, but no sconces were lit now. Dread set upon Singe's mind as he realized something, or somebody, had extinguished the sconces behind them, blinding their escape. Singe stopped in his tracks and waited in place, motionless, while he considered his next move. Krindar followed suit and stood as still as a statue at Singe's feet. For several moments, Singe didn't make a sound as he listened for any semblance of sound in the thick, dark blackness surrounding him. Even a Khajiit, normally able to see in relative darkness, would have trouble without any ambient light for their keen eyes to amplify. This cave system had gone from dimly lit to complete, utter blackness when the rusty wall sconces were extinguished by something, by somebody. Singe and Kundar were vulnerable in this level of dark. They couldn't sit here waiting. They needed to make a move, and Singe knew it. Without any other options, Singe reached over his shoulder and retrieved an unlit torch that was stored in his backpack its head protruding from under the pack's main flap for ease of access. He placed the torch between his legs and pinched them together to hold the torch, freeing up his hands. He reached into his side pouch, retrieved his flint and tinder, and began to strike them together under the fuel-soaked rags tightly wrapped on the edge of his torch. With every stroke of his paws, a series of bright sparks showered off the fire starter. Singe knew this was a dangerous proposition. Singe was sacrificing the cover of darkness in hopes of lighting the torch and finding the way out of this cave. Krindar was standing watch. He knew what Singe was doing. He knew that he was taking a huge risk. So like a well-trained soldier, Krindar observed the surroundings for his partner while Singe attempted to light the torch. Krindar's head moved back and forth, eyes scanning the darkness. Each strike of the flint and tinder created a moment of light that allowed him to monitor any approaching threats. One strike after another. Light. Dark. Light. Dark. Then Krindar noticed something that shook him to the bone. While Singe was concentrating on getting a blasted torch lit, he noticed a figure getting closer with each strike. The figure was a blur, as even a cat's eyes need a moment to focus when the pitch black becomes light. As if the scene was playing out in slow motion, 
Krindar barely had the chance to yell out before the figure was upon them. Singe! Krindar cried as the torch was finally lit. Singe raised the torch out in front of him, fully illuminating the cavern and the hooded figure standing before them. The figure stood taller than Singe and was an arm's length away. The two adventurers were startled and stumbled back to create space. Singe fell backwards hard on his tail, and Krindar leapt to the side. But the hooded figure chose the bigger target and closed on Singe fast. So fast, its hood filled with rushing air and fell back onto the figure's shoulders, revealing a terrifying sight. The figure pounced on Singe, its power overwhelming him. Singe was flat on his back, with the pale figure on top of him inches from his face. Now Singe got a good look at the creature who had been clearly stalking them in the darkness. A powerful, zombie-like high elf with a lifeless, bloodless face littered with aging, empty veins sat atop Singe in a dominant position. Singe couldn't move a muscle. It was as if he was completely paralyzed, not by fear, mind you. Singe was a brave and skilled combatant but some other form of power rendered Singe completely powerless. A putrid breath came from the undead elf's mouth, then an angry hiss, revealing a set of two top fangs that appeared to be growing right before Singe's very eyes. Vampire! Krindar! Run! Singe yelled just as the fanged beast sunk his fangs into Singe's neck. Singe felt a sharp, needle-like pain pierce the skin beneath his fur. He knew exactly what was happening. He could actually feel the vampire beginning to feed, his pumping blood rushing in the wrong direction and exiting his body into a new, uninvited host. The beast still had a tight grip on Singe's upper shoulders, pinning him to the ground. But Singe could sense a slight loss of tension as the vampire loosened his grip to concentrate on satiating his bloodthirst. With that slight release of tension, Singe knew he only had a moment to act. Blindly grasping a ground next to him, Singe was lucky enough to find the hilt of his still-lit torch. He grasped the hilt of the torch and drove it with all of his might into the vampire's ribs. With a grunt, the vampire stopped feeding then winched and screamed in pain from the burning torch as it bluntly struck its ribs and began to scorch the tender skin under its armpit. Singe held it there for a few seconds before the vampire realized what was happening and leapt off of Singe's body. Singe took this opportunity to leap to his feet and get his bearings. The entrance to the tunnel was a 60-foot sprint away, and he knew he would be pursued by the creature who was undoubtedly faster than he. Singe threw the torch towards his exit to illuminate the path, then turned toward the vampire, who was regaining his composure after being struck in the side with the fiery club. In the same moment, he saw his companion Krindar fearlessly leaping through the air with his claws unleashed, landing on the vampire's back with skin-piercing ferocity. Krindar's selflessly brave strike served as the perfect distraction as the vampire diverted its focus and tried to figure out what was happening. 
Singe quickly channeled a spell and yelled for Krindar to leap away. Wisps of red mist swirled around Singe's paws as he pressed his outstretched arms toward the vampire with a quick push. The crippling grasp spell was launched. Krindar leapt from the vampire's back and out of the way. The spell hit home with precision as the vampire again cried out in pain. Now, Krindar, let's go! Singe yelled as he saw his companion already leaping toward the exit. The vampire, clearly hurt by Singe's spell, fought through the pain and attempted to pursue. But the spell, which has sapped and slowed the creature's agility, wouldn't allow it to close the distance. Instead, the vampire stopped in its tracks and began to channel a spell of its own. Krindar and Singe ran as fast as their legs would carry them toward the cave's wooden door. The vampire, with fire surrounding its outstretched hands, unleashed a steady stream of intense flames up the path and directly toward the fleeing Khajiits. Singe felt the heat building as the wall of flames closed on their escape. Accelerating in speed, Singe used what little adrenaline he had left and deftly scooped up Krindar from the ground as he too ran at top speed. Singe covered his feline companion with both of his arms, holding Krindar close to his chest as he reached the door. With a flying kick, Singe and Krindar burst through the rickety old wooden cavern door, shattering it into several pieces. But at that instant, the flames reached the door as well. The cool, ambient air of the outside of the cave gave way to a breath-stealing surge of searing heat as the vampire's final attack reached the two escaping Khajiits. With Krindar still held tightly in his arms, Singe ducked behind the exterior of the wall of the cavern, next to the obliterated door, just as the massive blast of flame exploded out of the opening. The heat was near unbearable for several seconds as the spell completed. Singe and Krindar were protected from direct flame impingement by the cave's outer wall. Well, mostly. One thing was unknowingly left in the path of the jet-like inferno blowing out the door. The last foot or so of Singe's furry black tail was the only thing left fully exposed to the intense heat. Because of the pure rush of adrenaline pumping through his veins, Singe didn't notice that his tail was on fire until the pain set in. Yow! Singe screamed. My biscuit is burning! My biscuit is burning! He released his protective grip on his friend Krindar, allowing him to jump free. The flames had subsided, and all that was left of the cave's entrance was a trail of soot and smoke and burning debris from the splintered wooden door and a few smoldering bushes that the fire had ignited. Singe dropped to the ground in pain and rolled around, snuffing out the fire on his tail. He stood up, grabbed the middle of his tail, and swung the end around to his face to survey the damage. The fur on the last foot or so of his tail was completely burned away, leaving a hot, blistered mess of bubbled skin. Despite the pain of the burn, Singe knew the vampire may be in pursuit. He motioned to Grindar to follow, and they headed off at a brisk pace into the woods. Morning was still hours away, and the moonlight was shining bright as the two Khajiit made their escape, deftly sprinting through the trees. They reached a small opening in the forest canopy, 
close to their makeshift camp, and Singe called to Krindar to stop. In all of their haste, Singe hadn't realized that he had been bleeding for the last several minutes from the wound created by the vampire's bite on his neck. They had run so far, so fast, that the blood had mostly dried and matted in his dark fur, save for the wound site itself that was still showing signs of an active venous bleed. Singe was out of breath, quite possibly from the loss of blood. I don't feel well, Krindar. I, I need to rest, Singe managed as he steadied himself on a tree. You're bleeding, Singe. Badly, Krindar said with a horrible look in his eye. I'm dizzy, Krindar. Let me sit. I need to tend to this wound, Singe said as he slumped to the forest floor with a noticeable loss of muscle control. As Singe sat with the tree holding up his ailing body, Krindar used his teeth to grasp a small linen from the side of Singe's pack, pulling it free and placing it into Singe's hand. Here, hold this on your neck. Put it between you and let the tree put pressure on it. Let me find something to stop the rest of the bleeding, Singe. Stay put, Krindar said as he turned and darted back into the forest. Okay, my friend. I just... I will just... hold it. Singe's body went limp, and his head dropped against the tree's bark as his eyes closed and gave way to yet more darkness. Episode 6 Cycles of light and dark flashed like a strobe so frequently it was difficult to get his bearings. It was as if he was suspended in a giant vortex of red and black. Singe was clawing to reach the sides of the whirling tunnel to find a way out, but he couldn't manage to reach it. The ambient sound was a dull roar in his ears as he floated about, and he was sure he could hear whispering, but he couldn't quite make out the actual words. It was as if no matter how hard he tried to swim his way through this nothingness, some strange force was keeping him in place, a captive to a blood-red blackness and a whisper he was forced to hear but not understand. Time was not a factor. He had no recollection of past, his future, or his present situation. He felt as if his mind was being squeezed and any attempt at figuring out how to escape this prison in his own consciousness was completely suppressed. So he hung there, motionless, helpless. Then the whispers became louder, loud enough for him to decipher what was being said. She said it over and over again without pause, her voice emerging from the blooded darkness and becoming as clear as the church bells of Daggerfall to Singe. The blood of the mother flows within you. The blood of the mother flows within you. The blood of the mother flows within you. Over and over, he heard it. It drowned out all other sounds, and he could actually feel the words piercing the very essence of his soul. It wouldn't stop. 
His mind was being squeezed so tightly, he couldn't even attempt to decipher the meaning. He was emotionally, mentally, and physically paralyzed. Knowing he was completely helpless, Singe felt himself stop fighting and gave in to the suppression of his being. He just let it all go. He instantly felt a weight lift from his shoulders. He felt a lightness he hadn't felt for quite some time. Now he was unchained. He was free. But in that instant, another voice pierced his consciousness and broke him of a moment of peaceful tranquility. His body shook violently as he returned to his previous state, suspended in the red-soaked blackness of his own oblivion. Singe! Singe! You have to wake up! Singe! Please wake up! Krindar said with deep worry. Singe! And just like that, he awoke. Singe sat up with a burst of energy and looked about with a start, trying to orient himself to this new situation. What? Who? Krindar! What in oblivion happened to this one? Where are we? Singe blurted, clearly confused. Easy, Singe. Take it easy, Krindar said quietly, trying to settle Singe's angst. Just rest, friend. But... But where are we, Krindar? How long has this one... Singe, relax now. We're just where we stopped after we got out of that cave. You've been sleeping, Singe, for, for a while now, Krindar reported. Wait, wait, Singe said, eyes wincing from a newfound pounding in his head. How long has this one been asleep, Krindar? Three days, a new voice to the conversation proclaimed. You've been asleep for three days. Lifting and turning his head toward the sound of the stranger, Singe was greeted with nothing but a tall, cloaked figure silhouetted in the brightness of the sunlight behind him. The man, realizing Singe couldn't see him because of the bright light, knelt down beside him and pulled his hood onto his shoulders so Singe could get a better look. The man looked like a wizard. He had a bald head, a long braided gray beard, and he shot a warm smile at Singe. My name is Cash, the man said with a gentle demeanor. Motioning to Krindar, Cash continued. You've got quite the loyal traveling companion here, friend. He would not leave your side, no matter how hard we tried to get him to rest. And you look quite sick. So we decided to stay on and lend our help. We? Singe questioned. From behind, a new voice spoke. Turns out we were about to explore the same cave as you and Krindar here were in. Then we saw you leaving in a hurry. Pretty much made up our minds about that. The other person said, That's my partner, Jibs. We're treasure hunters, you might say. Just like you, we presumed. Cash joked. Well, I suppose I should formally introduce you to my freshly awakened friend, Jibs and Cash. This is Singe, Krindar said. Well, it's good to meet you finally, Singe. Or should we call you Singe Tail? Jibs chuckled. Ha! Singe Tail. I like it, Krindar agreed. 
Singed tail? Singe repeated with a blank look. Singe had forgotten about nearly burning his tail off during the escape from the cave. He immediately reached back and grabbed for it, swinging it around into his view. The last foot or so of his tail was bandaged tightly with some sort of oil-impregnated dressing. He expected it to hurt, but it didn't. He stared at it for a moment, poked at it, seemingly unaware that everyone was watching him. He looked terrified. He slowly started to unravel the bandaging to survey the damage. These two must have some deep medical knowledge, Singe. They offered to help when they found us, and they bandaged you up good, Krindar said. The unraveling of the wounded tail got more frantic as Singe got visibly more concerned. He kept pulling the end of the bandage, lengthening his arm over and over again until the last of the wrapping fell to the ground. But to everyone's surprise, Singetail's wounds had healed faster than anyone could have anticipated. In just three days? As a matter of fact, the skin was wholly intact. No blistering, no skin sloughing, no nothing. Granted, there was no fur left on the last foot or so of his tail, but for the most part, it was healed. By the moon, Singe! How did you heal that quickly? Krindar was confused. What was in that salve you used? Chibs replied, It's a Bosmeri recipe. Trust me, it works wonders. Well, this one can't believe it, Singetail wondered. This one would have expected to be in a lot of pain, but this one feels nothing. Well, Singetail, we're certainly glad you're healing well. But you may be still be running a fever, my new friend, Cash mentioned. You should continue to rest. Yes, you do have a pallor to you, Singe. We should rest for a while longer before we continue on our mission, Krindar said plainly. Great Rajin Krindar, the mission! Where is Thorn? Is he still... Singetail said with excitement before being interrupted. Gone, Singe. He left the camp the next morning. He's got a few days on us now. Our mission is blown, Krindar lamented. Wait, did you say Tharn? Cash's attention was suddenly grabbed by the mention. As in Abner Tharn? Krindar and Singetail slowly looked at each other, realizing their cover was blown. Yes, we were tailing Abner Tharn. He's been up to something, and we've been assigned to surveil him. You see... We work for the Mages Guild in Daggerfall, Singetail reported. Cash and Jibs looked at each other for a moment, and then Jibs shrugged his shoulders back at Cash. We're following him too. Jibs and I, and some of the treasure hunters under our employ, received this missive. We were curious, so we decided to go on a little outing, Cash said. Wait, wait, you were following Thar too? And you abandoned your pursuit to stay and help me? Singetail questioned. Yeah, I, I guess we did, Jib smiled. Thank you, my friends. That was unexpected and somewhat unheard of. This one owes you a great debt, Singetail said solemnly. Who you owe is Krindar, Singetail. He was glued to your side day and night. He braved these wiles by himself to find the ingredients we needed for this healing poultice. And he trusted two strangers. He allowed us to stay on with you, Cash mentioned. Singetail looked to Krindar and smiled. Well then, thank you too, my little friend. You are my savior. 
What would you do now, my new friends, Jibs and Cash? Where will you go from here? Singetail asked. Well, why not stay together? All of us would make a better tracking party than just the two groups split up. But only makes sense since we're following the same High Chancellor. Well, that is if you'll have us, Jib said with a smirk. Of course, we would love to have you along, Krindar exclaimed, looking to Singetail, who was nodding a yes motion emphatically. Please, we would be honored, Singetail humbly said. But what of Tharn? He has a three-day lead on us, no? Yes, he does, but from what we could tell since we started tracking him, Tharn is not very good at covering his trail. He should be easy enough to track, I suppose, unless he took way shrines, in which case we'll have to scry. Cash said with a shrug. You're right, Jibs agreed. He shouldn't be too hard to catch. He moves like a one-legged aylet and leaves tracks like one, too. Then it's settled. We're like a band of thieves hunting our quarry, Krindar celebrated. You should be resting, though, Singetail, Cash reminded everyone. Nonsense! This one is right as the rain. Let me pack my belongings and we will be on our way, Singetail insisted. Are you sure, Singe? Krindar asked with concern, then turned to Cash and Jibs for guidance. Of course, my friend. If this one tires, he will request a break. Don't fret. Singetail set everyone's mind at ease. I will go start packing now. Nods of approval all around, Singetail turned toward Jibs and Cash and gave a slight bow of respect, then turned and started toward his belongings. Krindar, not wishing to be apart from his friend, hurried alongside Singetail. Jibs and Cash watched as the two walked away, but couldn't quite make out what the larger Khajiit said when he leaned down and spoke to his Alfie companion. Singetail. Singetail? By the moons, Krindar. This one hopes that name doesn't stick. Episode 7 It turned out that Jibs and Cash were correct about Tharn. It was quite easy to track, actually. He had continued southeast through Valenwood and passed through the mountainous eastern edge into southern elsewhere a few days after the four adventurers found his trail again. He had indeed used a way shrine to shorten his travel and luckily Jibs and Cash were quite adept at scrying. They were able to trace his steps through the plains and pinpoint his landing location. From there, tracking him became a piece of sweet roll. However, what he was doing all the way in the southern reaches of Khajiiti territory was still unknown. Singetail, yes, his new nickname stuck, was looking forward to exploring his native homeland, but unfortunately, he was still battling fevers and chills each night. He was lucky to still have his appetite, though, because had he not been properly nourished, he wouldn't have been able to be traveling at all. But something strange was definitely happening to him. He didn't mention the headaches, the general weakness, or the insatiable craving for raw meat to the rest of his traveling companions. Each night when they stopped for a meal, Singetail would request his meat rare and found himself wanting to drink the juices from the partially cooked meat instead of actually consuming the whole haunch. 
This was definitely abnormal for Singe. He usually had quite the lust for good barbecue. Singedale also continued to have very vivid dreams each night in his bedroll. He didn't have the urge to explore tunnels as he usually did, which worried Krindar. The duo would usually both be quite keen to find a new underground tomb in which to lurk. But over the past few days, Singetail would turn in early in order to have enough energy to continue their trek in the early morning hours. His dreams were bright and dark at the same time. A repeat of the dream he'd experienced when he first woke from his three-day slumber. Each night he would explore his own mind a little more, striving to learn the meaning of his recurrent dreams. He began to attribute the hues of colors as symbolism, the dark he attributed to the evil of the world, and the red, his experiences coated in the thick layer of fresh blood. He couldn't explain it, yet he understood the translation in his mind. It was just too much to try and explain to his companions, so Singetail continued to keep his sleep experiences to himself. He was sure that he was going crazy, a little more each day. On one particular day, things began to come into focus for Singetail. The party was traveling through a thick section of woods, and Singetail was in the scout position, ahead of the main group. His senses were on fire. As he cautiously stepped through the woods, attentively watching ahead for possible threats, Singetail noticed he was keenly attuned to his surroundings. Every sound was amplified. From the rustling of the birds in the trees above, to the slightest movement of a critter in the ground cover, the Khajiit adept could hear it all. Of course, the Khajiit innately had an increased level of spatial awareness and finely tuned senses, but this, this was altogether different. The sounds bombarding him today were nearly deafening. Singetail wanted to put his paws over his ears and just sit. He wanted to try and understand what was happening to him, but he had a job to do. He had to keep moving. He had to keep his companions safe. But in addition to his heightened senses, Singetail had an insatiable urge to hunt. It was far beyond the simple need for food. He had an unwavering lust to kill. He continued to stalk through the forest, hearing, seeing, and feeling every movement around him. At the edge of a row of birch trees, Singetail noticed an opening in the tree line. He quietly lurked to the base of a large tree, his foot pads landing soft with each step and avoiding every dried branch or leaf that would create a sound. He stopped at the tree, surveyed the landscape for threats, and just breathed slowly, trying to calm his raging nerves. In the deafening silence of the forest, he heard the unmistakable sound of a heartbeat. He knew it wasn't his own. This heartbeat was something else. A creature of some sort. But how was it that he could hear its heart beating? This was not just the thump-thump of a normal heartbeat. Singetail could actually hear the blood of a creature flowing in and out of its heart. 
thump, whoosh, thump. Thump, whoosh, thump. How could this be? Singetail thought to himself, in that moment, he experienced something he'd never felt before. A surge of heat overwhelmed his body. Not just from his deft movement through the forest. He was blazingly hot. His eyes felt as if they were on fire. His chest heaved with every breath, heat searing in his lungs with every inspiration. Then, without warning, Singetail was suddenly in a full sprint into the grassy meadow beyond the tree line. In the distance, about 30 meters away, a sizable buck fed on sprouts of alfalfa growing in the field. Singetail was near silent as he sped toward the animal at a blinding speed. It was as if he was being controlled by some mysterious outside force. The distance closed in an instant. The deer neither heard nor had time to react to the bolting Khajiit. Not a single weapon was used. Before he knew it, Singetail had pounced on the defenseless deer as a four-legged lion or panther might. His body atop the animal and his fangs securely latched to its neck. Singetail could feel the warmth of its blood entering his clenched maw. The hot blood flowed down his throat as the deer let out a frantic, rut-like bleat, piercing the silence of the meadow. For some strange reason, Singetail felt a powerful surge of energy enter his soul. He was refreshed, emboldened. He was whole again. Hearing the blood-curdling cry of the dying buck, Cash, Jibs, and Krindar crashed through the forest in Singetail's footsteps to catch up. When they entered the meadow, they found a gruesome sight. Singetail sat on the meadow floor with his legs crossed, the dead deer lying on his side just behind him. Singetail's eyes were closed, and he didn't move a muscle at the approach of his friends. Fresh arterial blood saturated the fur on Singetail's face, dripping slowly into his lap. He appeared to be in a trance, some sort of meditative state. All three of his companions were dumbfounded. Quindar, his Alfique partner, was the first to speak. Singe! Singe! Are you alright? What an oblivion just happened! Singetail's meditation broke and he opened his eyes with a start. To the surprise of his companions, Singetail's eye sockets were glowing as red hot as a blacksmith's tongs. I... I don't know! What is happening to me, Krindar? Singetail said with a confused look on his face. Jibs and Cash, standing behind Krindar and taking in the blood-drenched scene, glanced at each other with a knowing look. With a nod toward Cash, Jibs approached Singetail with an air of caution. Singetail, you've just fed. You should begin to feel somewhat normal now. But in a few days, you'll get those feelings back again. Like you're not in control, Jib said slowly and quietly. A look of bewilderment fell upon Singetail's face. Singe, listen to me. Those feelings, 
when they return, you must let us know. Do you understand me? We will help you, Singe. Cash said cautiously as he approached his new friend. What? By the moons! What do you mean, fed? Singetail said with uncertainty and disdain. Singe, I think he means you're turning, Krindar said. Turning? Turning into what? For Srendar's sake? Krindar, tell me! Krindar looked to Jibs and Cash, standing at his side, then back at Singetail. Into a vampire. Episode 8 The next two weeks was wrought with activity on the group's expedition in pursuit of Abner Thorn. The party had to balance tracking the High Chancellor and keeping an eye on Singetail, who had clearly been stricken with Noxophilic Sanguivoria. There was no doubt he had been afflicted with the disease during his run-in with the nocturnal vampire in that cave system in Valenwood. The worst part was there were no healers for many miles, and purge blood salts would be near impossible to find in the region they were currently traversing. So Jibs and Cash did what they could to facilitate Singe's feedings. He was actually doing quite well feeding on the available wildlife, which seemed to cull his newly acquired murderous tendencies. Singetail seemed to be doing fine. His energy was up, the fever systems had subsided, and he had actually seemed very interested in maintaining this lower level of affliction. It almost appeared as if he was enjoying it. The increased senses, the boon to his level of stealth, and the increased brute force in his combat prowess was quite impressive. These new skills actually made tracking Tharn much easier. The problem was, Singetail would need to constantly have access to fresh blood, because if he missed a feeding, there was no telling what he was capable of doing. Those newly afflicted with Noxophilic Sanguivoria were just too unpredictable. For now, Deer and Elk would just have to suffice. Tharn continued his trek through Southern Elsewhere solo until last evening, when he met back up with the impressive-looking Altmer Ranger from Daggerfall. In addition, a hooded female Khajiit was among the party. She was black-furred, small and lean in appearance. She wore medium leathers with a bow on her back and dual daggers hanging from her belt. Even from a distance, the female's gait displayed that she was a quite skilled combatant, but with an air of grace. It was difficult to explain and made her that much more intriguing to the party, especially Singetail, whose ears and tail perked up immediately upon seeing her for the first time. The trio continued their trek through the forest lands of Southern Elsewhere, but this time by horse and cart. In constant pursuit from a safe distance, as to not alert their quarry, was Singetail, Krindar, Jibs, and Cash. The group had to keep a swift pace to stay on their trail, but the tracks laid by the horse and cart made it relatively easy. In the early morning hours, on a warm Sundas, Singetail, Kryn, Jibs, and Cash 
reached a small summit just above the Great Divide, where Tharn and his companions had been traveling. This particular area of southern elsewhere was called the Kinral Peninsula. It was located near the iconic Khajiiti city of Senchal. The massive landmass juts out to the east and into the Topal Sea. The cart and horse had been stowed on the side of the road. It appeared the party had abandoned their mode of transportation and had disappeared into the deep jungle on the eastern side of the road. The foursome increased their pace to keep up with Tharn and his companions. From their vantage point, the jungle appeared quite dense, and they knew they risked losing Tharn if they didn't catch their trail quickly. The horse was hitched to a tree near the cart, with a full hay bale and trough of water at her side. It looked like Tharn and his companions planned a long trek into the forest. The horse whinnied as Singetail, Krindar, Cash, and Jibs passed her, following the footprints in the silt leading into the dense forest. Oh, will this trail ever end? Singetail said in frustration. The party had been following the tracks for the better part of two hours. The dank jungle, coupled with the heat of the midday sun, began to suppress the energy of the group. But they knew they were on the right path. The sets of three distinct tracks in the moist jungle floor on a well-traveled game trail told them so. Up and down small hills, around twisting and turning switchbacks, the trail was mostly covered by the jungle's canopy. They only stopped once at a small brook and took water before continuing the trek into the dense jungle. Sound of the jungle filled their ears. The insects biting and the penetrating humidity were impossible to ignore. Their focus was impenetrable. Well, right up until they heard it. Ariel's breath, Jib said without even trying to control his volume. What was that? Cash followed as he looked at his companions with fright. Singetail was the first to move. He sprinted into the jungle, motioning for his friends to follow. Beams of light penetrating the jungle's canopy flashed like strobe lights as the party tried to keep up with Singe's blinding speed. He was pulling away from the party, but they kept on his trail as he deftly moved under low branches and overtop moss-laden deadfall on the jungle floor. Ahead, the shadows of the jungle gave way to light. Clearing. Singetail stopped in his tracks, showering damp soil for several feet in front of him. He stood there dumbfounded, staring at a massive ancient structure just a couple hundred yards away. The rest of his companions caught up and froze the second they too saw the sight before them. The ruins were set into the face of a cliff overgrown by moss, trees, and foliage. A long, ornately designed stone bridge spanned a small hidden lake leading to the entrance of the ruin. A massive stone door with the depiction of some sort of winged demon appeared to lead into the ruin. The companions were speechless. For several moments, they stood surveying the ancient ruin. 
Jibs? Could this possibly be... Cash uttered in a low tone. I don't know, Cash. Jibs answered. Could be what? Krindar questioned, looking at both Jibs and Cash. The Halls of Colossus. Singetail lamented in a low, emotionless tone. What? Krindar said, horrified, as an even more horrifying sight appeared. Over the edge of a cliffside, a massive dragon appeared to be ascending into the sky, its enormous wings flapping slowly but effectively as it climbed in altitude. Behind it, several dragons of varying size took flight, each one letting out an ear-piercing roar as they climbed into the skies over elsewhere. Frozen in time, the companions stood, mouths agape as they watched the ancient dragons fly over their heads. They stood as still as a field mouse with a hawk flying overhead, but didn't have time to find concealment. The sight of the dragons was so rare and out of place, it was as if for a short moment they couldn't process a rational thought. There they watched. The group was completely in the open, but the dragons didn't attack. Even though several of the escaping beasts definitely spotted the foursome, the dragons ignored them and continued to ascend into the morning sky. At that moment, however, the terrifying yet serene moment was broken with the sound of a frantic voice. The four companions couldn't quite make out what was being said, but they saw three figures running toward them at a clip. A warrior clad in ornate leathers, a dark furred Khajiit, and an old man in gaudy robes sprinted the span of the bridge and headed directly to them. Run! The old man yelled, just as a large red-scaled dragon appeared on the ridgeline. The group needed no more explanation at the sight of the beast. They fell in behind the old man and his two followers and darted into the forest. The forest canopy on the outskirts of the Halls of Colossus provided the perfect cover for their escape. Although the dragons, for some odd reason, didn't appear to be pursuing them. They ran for several minutes, even though the entirety of the newly formed group hadn't formally met. They did, however, have a singular purpose, to not become a meal for several beastly dragons who had presumably just escaped an ancient prison. Singetail, Krindar, Cash, Jibs, Abner Tharn, a hooded Khajiit, and the Altmer Ranger came to rest in a large rock outcropping jutting out from a large and jagged landmass in the center portion of the forest. Without taking time for pleasantries, Singetail was the first to break the silence, as the party collectively hunched over, gasping to catch their breath. By Jon and Jod, what in oblivion was that? He hissed. 
With an obviously annoyed look on his face, Abner Tharn turned his head toward the inquiring Khajiit and bit back. Well, it would appear that there are now dragons in elsewhere. And it's all your fault, Tharn. This would have never happened if you hadn't used that corrupted stone tablet. Blast you, Tharn! The black-furred female Khajiit snapped with anger. Calm down, everyone. Calm down. Jib said gently, motioning his hands in a downward fashion. I believe introductions are in order first, before we resume to decapitating each other with our words? Surprisingly, his calming words did the trick. Everyone seemed to take a deep breath, as the better part of reason took hold of the situation. What followed was several minutes of introductions and explanations of just how and why these unlikely companions ended up in a humid, dense forest in the middle of southern elsewhere, running for their lives from a scaly fleet of ancient beasts. It was a conversation charged with excitement and at times anger, with topics ranging from the Mages Guild investigations to recruitment of adventurers to ancient tablets and ending the Three Banners War altogether. It turned out the tall Altmer Ranger, introduced as Anriel, was an adept adventurer who had volunteered to answer the summons by Tharn. He was to be entrusted with leading many of the volunteers, and was thus chosen by the High Chancellor to accompany him into the Halls of Colossus. Kamira, the attractively dark-furred Khajiit, was surprisingly an agent for the currently seated Speaker of the Main, Lord Garashri. She had a fiery personality, but with an air of grace. There was something about her. It was as if she was holding something back. Perhaps a lot of somethings. But anyway, she continued her assault on the High Chancellor, with him refuting her at every accusation, blaming his half-sister for nearly everything. He overtly claimed to be trying to help, but it was difficult to buy his claims after hearing Kamira speak of just how the dragons had been released. Regardless of how and why, there was a massive problem flying over the skies of the Kajidi homeland, and it was a matter of time before they impacted the region in some fashion. It was collectively agreed upon by the adventurers to stay on together and further investigate the repercussions of the dragon's release. Nobody quite knew what they were capable of, but they knew what dragons had been responsible for in the distant past, which was a major cause for concern. They would have to warn the native Khajiit before it was too late. They wasted no time in returning to the High Chancellor's main encampment in Grotwood. Although it took some time to get there, the camp was a beehive of activity as allies and adventurers arrived from all walks of Tamrielic life. Whether they were there out of their own adventurous spirit, or out of pure concern for the welfare of the feline beast race itself, it did not seem to matter. They came in droves to help. Caravan after caravan left for elsewhere to assist the Khajiit, as Tharn and his staff organized the adventurers into groups and arranged for their travel. Signing on to assist immediately, Singetail, Krindar, Cash, and Jibs 
were entrusted to remain at Tharn and Chimera's side during the planning of the aid operation into elsewhere. It seemed the trek through the forest had fostered a good amount of will and companionship, sufficient enough to earn the trust of Abner Tharn. It was either that, or the fact that Jibs and Cash had offered the assistance of their own personal organization to come and assist. The Reliquary, they called it, and described as a band of treasure hunters who knew how to fight. Either way, the High Chancellor took a liking to the foursome. Cash and Jibs had sent word to their base at Somerset and across their network that the events taking place in elsewhere would become the immediate priority. Reports of dragon attacks were mounting in the northern parts of the Kajidi province, and the influx of volunteer caravans increased in the days and weeks following the dragon's escape from their tomb in the Halls of Colossus. It seemed that above all else occurring in Tamriel, including the Three Banners' War, many in the world had a soft spot for the Khajiit, and the most able dropped what they were doing to come to their aid. The response was profound and actually quite heartwarming. A uh, singe tail, Krindar, Cash said as the foursome packed their own wagon with supplies for the trip to Anequina. Yes, my knife-eared friend, Singetail mused at Cash. Look, uh, I know you already have a job with the Mages Guild and all, but uh, how would you both like to join us at the Reliquary? We could use a couple well-traveled dungeon delvers with a thirst for adventure. And the pay is quite lucrative. Cash offered and finished with a smirk. Oh, I don't know, Cash. I mean, it sounds good and all. Krindar hesitated. Krindar, considering we may not make it out of elsewhere alive, what do we have to lose, eh? Finally get us out of the grip of the Mages Guild? Get to set out with others who love exactly what we do. Adventure. Give a little, my little friend. Singetail shrugged at his Alfie companion. Rindar, seemingly convinced, looked at Cash and nodded an assured yes. Great news, Jibs mused. You know, there was a time when I was a bit skeptical about the Khajiit. But then I thought, hey... Any race that innately covers up its own poop? It has to be pretty smart. Burring his brow, Singetail lovingly socked Jibs in the arm, prompting an ouch from the tall Altmer, followed by a good chuckle by both of them. That settles it then. Our crew from the Reliquary is on their way south now. You guys will get to meet them soon enough. They're a great bunch. I, uh... Even have someone in mind who could help you with your newly acquired, uh, skills, Singe. Oh, and we'll, uh, explain the rest of what the reliquary is about on our way to cat country. It's, uh, kind of a long story. Hi, friends. This is Cash from the Lore Seekers podcast. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to our storyline as we continue to let the creative juices flow in our love for the Elder Scrolls Online. As a very special treat, I want to present to you an epilogue by one of our very favorite members, Braxwolf. He has proven to be a very amazing asset to our community 
and to the Elder Scrolls Online community as a whole, as his creative tendencies are really blessing us with some pretty amazing things. So let me present to you the epilogue for this storyline, the story of Sinjin Krandar from Braxwolf. The mighty beast reared back, readying his next attack. Then, lurching forward, it spewed forth a mighty breath full of lightning and heat. But Gianna was ready. She braced herself, crossed her arms in front of her, and cast a spell shield over herself and her allies. Absorbing the electricity and conducting it towards the ground where it fizzled and dissipated harmlessly. Frustrated and weary from battle, the dragon roared and took a swipe at them with its wing while the Khajiit guard closed in on all sides. Gianna saw an opportunity. She turned to the small Alfique perched on the ground next to her and shouted, Now, Krindar! While the dragon surged from side to side attempting to propel the guard, Krindar closed his eyes and made some indistinguishable sounds. In a matter of seconds, the ground beneath the dragon began to glow bright orange as the rock heated to an unbearable temperature. The dragon started beating its wings, laboring to lift its immense body off the ground, the air whipping around, sending sand and debris at the soldiers in close proximity, impeding their assault. Gianna, keeping her eyes affixed to the dragon, turned her head slightly in the direction opposite Krindar and yelled over the sounds of battle. Are you going to help out today, Singe? No answer. She moved her eyes in Singetail's direction, carefully keeping the dragon, who had reached an altitude of about 50 feet, in her peripheral vision. Singe! The normally jovial Singetail was baring his teeth as he waved his paws in front of his chest. A larger-than-life, ghostly-looking skull materialized, hovering just in front of the Khajiit. Singe slowly lifted his arms until they extended far above his head. Then, he pulled his ears back and threw his arms forward, sending the skull hurtling toward the elevated adversary. It found its mark, striking the dragon squarely on the temple with the sound that silenced the battlefield and echoed throughout the valley. The dragon's eyes rolled back, it floundered, and then crashed to the ground. Its body struck first, then its wings, then with a thud of finality, its head. After a few seconds, the Khajiit guard let out a roar of victory. Gianna relaxed her battle-tense muscles to turn to Singe with a grin. Well, that was a new one, she observed, referring to the hovering skull. Took you long enough. Singe had been shadowing her from the time that she had arrived in elsewhere. Knowing that Singetail was struggling with his newfound abilities, Cash the Lore Seeker had summoned Gianna to serve as a guide, and to help indoctrinate him into the ways of the reliquary. She was surprised they entrusted her with an apprentice at such an early stage in her career, but she was happy to be able to help Singe with his vampiric transition. Though she hardly felt qualified. 
Singe's expression had changed to one of worry as he gazed at his outstretched hands. I'm sorry, this one was just so, so overwhelmed. So much was happening, so many things. Your senses were overloaded. With time and practice, you'll be able to filter them out and focus on what's important, Gianna explained. She, Krindar, and Singetail had been traveling the countryside with the Khajiit Guard, handling any rogue dragons who still terrorized elsewhere since the initial threat had been contained. Singe remained unconvinced. I don't want this anymore. It's too hard. It's different for you. You chose this. Gianna felt a twinge of pity. He was right, of course. He had never asked to become a vampire. Gianna took his paws into her hands and tried her best to comfort him. Singe, she said softly. Sometimes we have to live with the consequences of our decisions, as I do with my choice to become a vampire. Sometimes we're placed into circumstances by forces beyond our control, like you were. In either case, all we can do is press on. I can't go through the transition for you. That is your journey. But we, myself, Krindar, Jibs, and Cash, are here to support you along the way. That's what the reliquary is all about. Besides, she recalled the words of her mentor. All curses are also a blessing, if you choose to view them in that way. Singe turned inquisitive. How do you mean? Well, Gianna started, and then paused to find the exact words. We are the sum of all of our experiences, good and bad. They shape us. They mold us. We emerge from each a changed person, a new version of ourselves. We get to choose whether that new version is better or worse than the old one. Will we be strong and wiser, or broken and bitter? That part is up to us. Singe's eyes brightened a little at her words, though he still looked unsure. He turned his gaze to the horizon, pondering on the exchange. They shared a moment of silence, as nothing remained to be said. Well, 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 came a voice from behind in the direction of the nearest way shrine. Look what the cat dragged in. Cash joked, his gaze affixed on the slain beast. Jibs followed close behind, his garments singed and his beard askew. They had apparently just had a dragon encounter of their own. Meh, ours was bigger, Jibs observed after surveying the creature. Ours was meaner, Gianna shot back. Jibs was quieted by her quick response, and his face wore a look of shock that caused Cash to laugh out loud. (laughs) Come on, guys. We're here to relieve you. Kamira says the Khajiit guard can handle the cleanup from here on out. She sends her thanks and says that we're welcome and elsewhere anytime. Cash noticed that Singetail seemed a little distracted. Hey, you okay, bud? Uh, This one is better now. It is good to have friends, he responded, looking in the direction of Gianna and Krindar. Indeed it is, Cash replied with a smile. Let's go. Where are we going? Singe inquired. 
elsewhere, Jibs answered. But we're already... Singe's expression was perplexed. No Singe. Elsewhere. Or needed elsewhere, Jibs clarified. Ah, Singe smiled as he realized his mistake. Deed on, my friends. <laughs>